Welcome to Choreographing the City. Morning Conversations, part of the artistic residency of choreographer and Teatro Mundi fellow Dr. Adeshola Akinley. Hosted by Professor Gedimina Urbonas at MIT's Art, Culture and Technology program and supported by MIT Center for Art, Science and Technology. Akinley's residency explores emerging lexicons across dance making and city making through choreographing the city. In this podcast, Akinley and Urbonas are joined by guests in a series of eight morning conversations. Join us in this fifth episode to discuss time-space, Tava, Tongan philosophy and intersectionality with Tongan philosopher Ufanga Dr. Okusitino Mahina, professor of Tongan philosophy, critical anthropology and art at Vavau Academy for Critical Inquiry and Applied Research, Vavau Kingdom of Tonga. Professor Mahina. Thank you for being here. We spoke a little bit earlier in the week and talked a little bit about the conversation that we would be having and you've also shared me your upcoming chapter and I wondered if you would begin maybe with um, talking a little bit about the idea of connection and separation. Let me say that you do, uh, did well to uh, Talanoa in Tongan. Uh, it's near perfection. Of course, uh, there is no perfection, only approximation, but you did well to pronounce my my very long name and uh, quite a few key Tongan idioms. So I must thank you too. Let me uh, begin with this rather symbol, materialist symbol, but musically complex uh, ancient Tongan musical instrument. It's called Fang Fang. I only thought about this uh, uh, a couple of hours back, but really if I knew then, I would have asked my uh, dear esteemed friend and colleague and student Adriana Lee, or for that matter, Mautava Hayako, Professor Dr. David Kaili, or the other nose flutist, Kolokesa Wafa Mahina, to start it for me. But uh, I will just try and begin with this and and to uh, align it to that very uh, fundamental philosophical concept and practice in the section or in the sectionality. And this uh, short piece of uh, fangfangu music is all about intersectionality, where connection and separation are dealt with as inseparable hoa, soa, or pairs of equal and opposite binaries. Just a brief statement about this ancient uh, musical instrument. 
uh, this thought, this is the basis of not only ancient Moana, but also Tongan ancient music. It basically produces uh, a kind of minor tune, which was the characteristic sound of our ancient Tongan music. I don't know why, you may ask uh, Professor Maui Tawahako or Pautovo Vaulahi for an explanation, but maybe for another time, another space, that is another time space. But really, it's, it's very interesting, but I'll just try and open this Taranoa conversation talk session with just a segment of the intersectionality of tunes, tones, or notes, or sounds for that matter. Um, yeah, thank you, uh, Dr. Akin Lee, for setting the scene for this um, Talanoa Correro talk story conversation talk. And, and before I move into the notion, philosophical notion of intersectionality, for that matter, the two sides of a very fundamental philosophical notion, connection and separation, which are two sides of intersectionality. Let me say a few words about the source or the very source of, uh, of that philosophical uh, concept and practice, which is the so-called Tava time-space philosophy of reality. As a philosophy, it is based in time and space, which is reality. Reality is synonymous with time and space. That is the most fundamental element uh, on which or in which we exist, and you cannot go over and above time and space, or for that matter, reality. And Dawaism, as a philosophy of reality, has so many, many ontological and epistemological general and specific tenets. Uh, and I would like to refer to a few on which a better understanding of intersectionality can be made. That is, that ta and wa, time and space, are the common medium, vessels, means, vehicles, receptacles, through which all things exist in reality. And as 
epistemological entities. Ta and wa, time and space, as ontological identities, socially organized in different ways across cultures and languages. The ta and wa, time and space, are the abstract dimensions of fu and uho, form and content, which are in turn the concrete dimensions of ta and wa, time and space. Ta, time, is verb and definer of wa, space. And wa, space, is noun and composer of ta, time, on the abstract level. And like ta and wa, the same applies to form, for and new, form and content. For is verb and definer of uho, content. And content is noun and composer of uh, for. So there you can see that ta and wa, like for and uho, time and space, like form and content, are inseparable yet indispensable in reality as in nature, mind, and society. You cannot separate them. But if you do separate them, then you run into all sorts of problems of dualism, of separatism, of imposition. Why? Because we as human beings tend to separate things which are inseparable in reality. And I think that's why it's very important that we align ourselves to the ways of nature, the ways of reality, the ways of being, on which the ways of people, the ways of society, the ways of seeing, the ways of knowing, the ways of doing things are examined. And it follows that the epistemological questions are secondary to the ontological questions in that logical order of precedence. You have to have reality first before you can have ways of doing things. And by doing things, things, in reality, things, events, states of affairs, occurrences in reality, i.e. time and space. As far as intersectionality goes, it applies to ta and wa, or for that matter, for and nuho, where the former is the abstraction of the latter and the latter a representation of the former. And that goes to show that you cannot run with ta without the va, nor the va without the ta. And similarly, you cannot deal with the full form without the uho, content, and vice versa. Why? because they are underpinned by intersectionality that cuts across the whole spectrum of reality, 
whether you talk about nature, mind, or society, what you find is intersectionality through and through and through. And that is linked back to one of the tenets of Taoism as a philosophy of reality that everywhere in reality is intersection and there is nothing beyond connection and separation, which are two sides of intersection or intersectionality. In the case of nature, you see men and women, they are an inseparable pair. Carbon dioxide and oxygen as gases, they are an inseparable pair. And as you move into mind, we can recall here the dialectics of Haeckel. You have an idea which can be considered a thesis Opposition to that thesis is antithesis. And in mediation, both the thesis and antithesis, you have a synthesis, which in turn becomes an idea, a new thesis, which has an antithesis. And the negotiation of that pair, you come up with a series of other pairs, new synthesis. And in society, you have the same fundamental, where all things go in pairs, in hoa or soa. And in view of the common theme of this course and its associated project, choreographing the city, where that very notion is mediated at the intersection of dance and architecture, including engineering, that is also about intersectionality. You are dealing with that intersection of dance as a performance art and architecture as a material art from a Tongan point of view, you mediate a synthesis, shall we use the Hegelian language, a synthesis which is about choreographing the city by looking at buildings, at houses, sculptures, everything there is in that space as if it is dancing or moving in constant motion. From a purely dance perspective, the buildings do not dance, do they? Nor dance and architecture. But then when we move from one level to the other, from the concrete level to the abstract track level, what we see as a, a commonality to dance and architecture is really the intersection or connection and separation of lines and spaces. That's what we do. When we see a dancer dancing away, what you see are merely intersection of bodily movements, of lines and spaces, in its most fundamental dimension. What you see in buildings, you see nothing but intersection of lines and spaces by means of glass, cement, wood, steel, and so on and so forth. 
So when you drop from the concrete level to the abstract level, what you cannot escape is the fact that they are merely made up of intersecting or connecting and separating lines and spaces. And that goes to show we always need to qualify what intersection is all about, what intersectionality is all about. In that intersectionality embraces this pair, and this pair is connection and separation. That tells us that reality is four-dimensional, not three-dimensional. We seem to be obsessed when talking about architecture, dance, and all of the above by talking about three-dimensionality. The question is, what happens to temporality, the fourth dimension? What happens to it? And that raises a question. Is reality timeless or formless? No. Reality is not timeless or formless. But why being obsessed with talking about reality, dance, architecture, engineering, in three-dimensional terms, meaning we are only here, confined ourselves to talking about space or the speciality away from time or form on the concrete level or temporality or, form or formality. I think it's about time that we revise our usage of one in preference over the other because they are necessary. Uh, we cannot only run with space by talking about reality as three-dimensional, by leaving time behind or form behind as if reality, mind, nature, society is three-dimensional. So you have here an intersection of time and space, ta and va, for a new form and content. Why leaving time and form when we proceed to deal with reality? Uh, and that to me is a the biggest contradiction I come across. Looking at it from a Tongan, Moana Oceania philosophical perspective, which is Tava. Tava is in time and space. I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about the idea of shared meaning and translation and lexicons that might emerge from that. Yeah. Having delved into plurality and complexity of intersectionality, that is connection and separation as a whole, so a pair binary, let me as directed talk about the notion of shared meanings. And immediately the expression tells us a condition of commonality. Uh, and of course, and, and it's hoa, which is difference, but let's deal with commonality, which is what shared meanings may infer. And, and let me quote my favorite realist philosopher, John Anderson. 
who originated the so-called Sydney realism. He was based at Sydney University. And he was the teacher of my old teacher, Professor Futahelu, who taught me in that intellectual genealogy, shall we say. Well, uh, he said something to the effect that education or science or philosophy is concerned with the finding out of things in reality as they positively are, as they positively are, in opposition to our subjective imaginings in what we like them to be. Isn't that a beautiful summary of this opposition, this horse-saw-pair binary? the working of things as they positively are in themselves or of themselves versus our subjective demands, interests, imaginings of things as we would like them to be. <laughs> and that tells us more about shared meanings. And by shared meanings, I can say that it's a reference to reality. Because reality, whether it is about an event or occurrence or state of affairs, is the final measure of truth. That is what truth is all about. Is it the case that X is so and so? Yes, it is. Yes, no, it is not. That is based on reality rather than our differences. And that tells us what politics is all about, what is happening in the States now. You know, that's what politics is all about. The two leaders of the Republican or candidates of the Republican and the Democrats are vying against each other in what they thought the best imaginings of what America would like things to be. But away from dealing with America in terms of things as they positively are. I hope that gives us a sense of critical appreciation and reflection on this whole, this important uh, notion of shared meanings. And of course, shared meanings can be silent or it can be spoken. We can just see it without saying. And then if we want to converse and communicate, we use language as a means of communicating that fact of reality, but not our subjective imaginings of that reality because they don't often align to reality. And of course, the current environmental crisis, which now has culminated in the so-called climate change, is a product of the latter, of our differences, rather than what reality tells us, that we have taken so much out of nature, but we've returned so little. So that there is this imbalance, this harmony, asymmetry. And that is the truth of the matter. To say otherwise is to accept, impose our subjective imaginings on reality and what reality tells us what reality is. And I think that brings us to lexicon, to language, to communication. I mean, 
there are forms of, of different forms of language, the silent language, the bodily language, the verbal language, the pictorial language, you name it. We have different kinds of language, including the one we are using now. I am Tongan and Tongan is my first language, but I'm struggling to, to communicate in English, which is not my language. I wasn't brought up in English, nor taught how to speak proper English. Uh, and that's why it's ironical that I am born Tongan and I speak Tongan and I am forced. I'm forced, really. Really, I'm forced. It's not according to my free will to speak in English by the colonial forces, by, you know, a set of other forces to do what we are doing here, you know? But then while there are many languages, they are merely different means of communicating one and the same reality. And I emphasize that one and the same reality which is the ultimate measure of truth. And despite our different languages, our different ways of communicating the one and single level of reality, you know, they seem to collapse when it comes to reality. Your language, my language, her language, his language, they are merely different vessels, different lexicons. Uh, we uh, label the ways of working of things, their qualities. That is a tree. If I point to that tree, that the word tree is an imposition. It's a language. But once we examine that occurrence, that object on its own, we see its own intrinsic qualities. But then we, there is a qualification here that is a reminder that we must not preoccupy ourselves with the labels, but rather with the internal intrinsic qualities of that object, which we call tree. In Tonga, we call a cow, and maybe in other languages, different labels. But then these labels are merely different labels of one and the same object, which is what we call tree in English, or what we call a cow in Tongan. So that goes to show that language can only be made good as a medium. That is it. That is all. Language can only be made good as a medium. It is the way of ways of working of nature, of reality that matters because truth lies in reality. Despite our different languages, say me, a Hawaiian, a Greek, we all go and touch the tree. Our description in our languages would be descriptions that we impose on that object, <laughs> which is the one and only tree. <laughs> and whether you are right, I'm wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. It is that object that measures the truth of it all which is in terms of its internal or intrinsic qualities. And the same goes for, for dance and architecture. We call dance Tawalunga in Tongan. We call architecture Tufunga Langafale or Fale in Tongan. 
it's one and the same thing in reality. And of course, we build a Tongan Fale out of things in nature, of wood, sinets, you name it. But they all are things in reality, in nature, versus sociality. And that is a hoa soa pear pinery that is also negotiated. Reality versus sociality. And I think that very intersection is where we dwell as researchers, as scientists, as dancers, as architects. We always dwell at that intersection. And that intersection, we call it mata or ava, eye or hole, is where energy is most dense and intense. Consider the eye of the storm, or for that matter, the whole of the storm, in the case of Tonga, Mataava, I hold. That's where energy is most dense and intense. And that's where we dwell, whether it comes to the intersection of dance and architecture by choreographing a city. That's where we dwell. That's where we can find out the working of things in reality as in opposition to our subjective imaginings of that intersection, where the working of reality as they positive, of things in reality as they positively are, always versus our subjective imaginings. And by combining the two, and by dwelling at the very point of intersection, connection and separation, that's where we innovate, that's where we Originate, that's where we create originality, creativity, and reality. As you've been talking about the moment that you touch the tree, for instance, that we've been seeing dance as a kind of method of understanding the world, which brings meaning into or reality in our bodies, that our body is the place where reality can be engaged with rather than verbal language which has a sort of layer of as you've said of our own intentions in the language that we use so we've been trying to see part of the research as as how we find the somatic or the body as a place of knowing and a place of knowledge or a place of understanding yes um, the body can only be made good in the sense that that's where knowing and feeling can be found. A rock may not have the same qualities. We may ask the rock, what do you think and what do you feel? And expect uh, an answer back. Maybe not. But if you ask, we ask each other, why do you dance and, and what do you dance? You, you can expect an answer from me as another dancer, or maybe as a, a, a critic of dance, as an art. Body can only be understood in those terms, but from a Taoist sense, philosophical sense, all things in reality, whether it be, they be rocks, trees, lions, uh, human beings, they are of the same equal status by virtue of their being different. 
They are the same by virtue of their being different. How can we treat a tree as less important than me? How can I? How dare can I say that? Oh, I'm more important than the tree. No, in reality, we are all the same of equal status by virtue of our differences. But I think we need to understand the self or body as merely as a convenient, as a medium, and confine ourselves to that, but not to treat self or body as the be-all and end-all. And I think that is the kind of view is responsible for the current environmental crisis, because we treat ourselves as above nature, above the environment. Environment is there to be exploited. That is when we take it too far. Why? Because we are merely a minute part of nature. We are just a, a minute part of the whole equation of nature. And, and I think we, should, we must settle on that for further exploration. But then there is another addition to the body. The body is merely a medium for two things, which are a pair. And all three must be considered together, mind and heart. That is thinking and feeling. The body is not a vacuum. It is a medium that houses thinking and feeling. And I think the psychological and the emotional and the bodily must be considered as a totality in their individuality. It is so important to talk about the body as well as the mind and heart, thinking and feeling. Because we don't dance without thinking and feeling, do we? No. And that's why it's very important to give this equation its fuller impact. That is, body equals to thinking and feeling. And we need to talk about the body, the mind, and the heart. Am I making myself clear? Yes, yeah. Again, it's the, the problem of language in the way that the very word body assumes something that's separated from something else. Yes. What I'm saying, the body is not a vacuum and not the only thing. We may tend to forget that the body is not a vacuum, but a medium for what? for thinking and feeling. When you dance, you thinking is involved when you want, I want to move my hand this way, and you feel it. You don't move your hands thinking by moving your hands like this without feeling it. No, they are all entwined and intertwined as connection and, and separation. And that's what you do. You know, they all work together simultaneously. But my point is this, we seem to be just talking about the body and the more we talk about it, we tend to forget the body is not just a vacuum, but it's a medium. That's my point that we must give the equation all the variables there are in that equation. My, my comment in question is kind of to both of you because it's really wonderful to hear your perspectives. Adeshala, beautiful. 
as an artist. Um, so it's kind of just about the, my comment is about what we were just talking about then about the body being a medium for thinking and feeling and in terms of creating our, I guess, well, meaning at the intersection of kind of what we see out there and internalizing it into our own kind of understanding of reality. I have been thinking about that in terms of an essay we've been working on together as uh, Tavas, which really is about this um, inseparability of sino, ongo, in ilo, which is this kind of body, mind and heart. And I'm kind of thinking about that in terms of practice-based or practice-led research because for my PhD, I'm looking at um, that practice-led research in terms of music or sound. So I kind of was interested when you touched on using the body as a medium or as a method. And I was wondering how you're doing that in your kind of research at the moment, thinking about the body as kind of a, a medium for knowledge creation. I actually try and avoid using body alone. So I often talk about a mindful body and environment to try and capture the constellation of a, of a being rather than a single thing. And also that there's a sense of what I sometimes call is, was, will be. That the moment of now is, is a coming together of what was and what is anticipated and the moment of sort of consciousness of those things. So trying to avoid or trying to almost use English differently in order mm. to avoid the issues of dualisms that it can throw up. So that leads to a thought that maybe that an idea exists and to find a way into it, you don't necessarily begin with words, that you would begin with something else, <laughs> with movement mm. or, or smell or light or something that is to do with senses I guess so that's a way of starting to say how I would see dance as a method a method in the sense that you would use it as a way of making meaning of mm. your consciousness in that matrix of mindful body and environment and then also as a way to uh, play with the negotiation of mindful body and environment in that is was will be moment mm. <laughs> Yeah, so that it's a sort of method of understanding the world that then, or understanding the moment, that then can be translated into some communicable form, which could be more dance or choreography, or could be language, verbal language or written language or drawing, but just that how important it is to engage with an idea or a thought on terms that are not pre prescribed by verbal language. So that's what I mean by, by seeing dance as a, as a method in a sense. Yeah, thank you, um, good Dr. Atisola, for the reflection. Uh, I just saw this, something popping up. Uh, what about the role of intuition, improvisation in uh, the creative process? Yeah, those words or that word, intuition has been thrown around. Uh, in academia and in uh, the popular language, as if it is mysterious to do with mystery, intuition, mystery. Uh, there is nothing mysterious. Intuition or improvisation is rooted in the empiricism of, of reality. That's all. 
but it, it's something that is yet to be understood fully. And we call it, oh, intuitively, or in terms of improvisation, of course. It's still very much part of the negotiation or mediation of your understanding of reality. And, and there is no mystery attached to intuition or improvisation. It's just a form of experimentation uh, with, with reality. So I think we need to move away from the idea that creativity requires intuitive thinking or doing things. Yes, of course. But I think it's a reference to the ongoing negotiation, mediation of our understanding of what really reality or that aspect of reality under the creative process. And that is the trouble with the treatment of non-Western thinking and practices in terms of the supernatural or the paranormal. That is also another huge problem. There is no supernatural. It is an attribution of the uncertainty in our thinking as if it is mysterious. There is no, we don't think and feel uh, supernaturally. I think the anthropologists have been responsible for that rather problematic attribution to non-Western societies. But I, I would like to come back to your question about uh, Adrian Leah. I quite like the, the proposition by Atesola of the treatment of the body as a, a medium. That is very interesting. A way of understanding reality or the city or architecture uh, by mediating that intersection of dance and architecture. The body is like language. Language is another medium or culture for that matter. Knowledge, culture, and language are inseparable in reality as in nature, mind, and society. The knowledge gained in Tongan education is composed in culture as a vehicle and communicated in language as a vessel. So both culture and language are only made good as vessels for knowledge, which is what matters here. What matters in all three, knowledge, culture, and language, is knowledge, that's what matters most. Nor the culture, nor language, because they are only made good as mediums, vessels, or vehicles. And I think Atisola may correct me, but I, I see the same in the body. The body can only be made good as a wayfinder, a knowledge finder, a medium through which you discover knowledge or, or, or aspects of reality under the creative process, as in bringing dance to bear on architecture, in choreographing uh, the city by bringing the affinity between these two art forms, one performance, the other material, to a very exciting, dynamic, plural, complex relationships. Uh, and I, I, I quite like that. I, I'd like to, I've never thought about it until we Kalanor the other day with, with Atisola and, and just now. And I think it's something that I myself, I don't know about you, about uh, would like to explore further collectively or individually. I have a comment um, just to add to the conversation about the different vessels or museum or, or mediums 
you know, language as a medium, body as a medium, uh, music, and so forth. And I, I wonder maybe we should explore the, the different kinds of knowledge that are discovered by the various medium and, and perhaps maybe their limitation. Uh, as you already raised that language as a medium may not be able to uh, express or, or even discover the kind of knowledge that you're pursuing. And I think this is where indigenous knowledge or, or indigenous way of approaching knowledge was more holistic because language was just one aspect, dancing and drawing and carving and many other form of artistic expression were also used as mediums or vessels or, you know, vehicles for discovering knowledge. And I, I wonder maybe perhaps if someone wants to engage in that conversation, both the, the limitation of these mediums and, and also what uh, possibility does it provide for us as we use one over the other. That's the thing that I'm really excited about in terms of dancing. The, the body's subject to the same knowledge, culture, language, and, and the way that we move our bodies isn't neutral at all, but that there are knowledges in movement that are inexpressible, say, in verbal languages, and just as there are knowledges in other expressions. The interest that I have is that if we begin with becoming aware of, of our bodies and therefore tuning into some of the knowledges that come through our bodies, how would we then, uh, when I say we, I mean in, in a Western context, <laughs> how then there might be more space to notice the knowledges that are, not, that are missing. In other words, the, the vessel that you explain an idea in limits the idea. The idea doesn't limit the vessel. So if you have the vessel of movement or dance as the one that's carrying the idea, maybe there will be knowledges that don't normally manifest or aren't normally exposed. But why I think it's so interesting in this case is that so much of our sort of legislation and design of around cities is around regulating people's physical bodies. So we don't go to the physical body to understand the meaning of or the knowledges of what it is to be in a place. And yet we're using and then we're using knowledges that come from sitting around talking about it to regulate and shape those bodies. Also, the idea that there are the predominant languages as well, which also can't hold some ideas. So then you end up with with spaces that are created that really only suit certain bodies and other bodies are either invisibilized or have to change their shape in order to feel present in those places. So I think part of what we're looking at with this idea of coming together like this is to try and uncover other knowledges in order to critique our processes. Oh, there is this strong and beautiful Leahelyaki proverbial saying, Oku Translation. Approximate translation. The injury of the body heals faster than the injury of both the mind and heart. And that is very true. And, and I think, and that's why I, I'm curious to uh, investigate more the three variables, not just the body, but also the mind and the heart. 
And the, the way a city is arranged may confine bodies as physical entities, but we also need to also reflect on the impact on the mind and heart, on the psychological and emotional makeup of people. According to the Tongan Leahiriaki proverbial saying, uh, the injury of the body heals faster in the injury of the mind and heart, taking that into consideration that we also pay attention to the more lasting injuries done to people in terms of their psychology and emotionality in addition to their physicality. And that's just uh, a suggestion, but I, I would like to come back to the point made by uh, Maui Tamahako. Professor Dr. David Kaili, and I myself has fallen into the same trap by separating limitations from possibilities. We probably, because of our human tendencies to embrace only the good over the bad, we then do, what are, what are the opportunities for us here? But then not knowing that the opportunities cannot be separated from the limitations. And that tells us from a whole, sore, bare, binary, philosophical point of view that in talking about opportunities, we must also talk about the limitations. For it is, and this is again by my favorite philosopher, uh, the realist philosopher John Anderson, that it is in the raising of problems and not the presentation of solutions that actual solutions to real problems can be found. And that goes to show that we chuckle both the hoa, but not just one hand with one hoa, just the opportunities. Why? Because opportunities are considered as good. Limitations are considered as bad. Therefore, let's leave the bad and deal with the good. But then without dealing with the bad or both the bad and the good, there cannot be the good. Because why? We are going against reality by not chuckling the hoa, the sore, bare, binary, which are inseparable yet indispensable in, in, in reality as in nature, mind and society. Malo Abito, Levelewa Malanga, Kadao, Ofat Fao Malakma. This podcast is possible thanks to the support of the Center for Art, Science and Technology at MIT and the Art, Culture and Technology program, and is done in collaboration with Teatro Mundi. If you want to know more about the class, the program, and or the artists, follow us on Instagram at choreographingthecity underscore MIT, or follow the links provided in your podcast platform. Thank you very much for listening.